Hey everybody, welcome to the Outpost Community Church Podcast. My name's Addison, I'm on staff here as the youth pastor. We are currently going through the book of Matthew, and so we hope you enjoy listening and have a wonderful week of worship. guys stand let's read Matthew 11 we're gonna be at verse 25 together and we stand like this friends it's been a minute but we stand like this and we read just because we just want to put some honor in place to the word of God uh, as we open up a passage okay so let me read it says this at that time Jesus declared I thank you father lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding And have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Uh, Have you got, anybody in here ever owned a hamster? Is that a weird opening question? Uh, Anybody ever seen a hamster or a mouse run on a hamster wheel? It's pretty crazy, right? Those little bitty feet can move so fast. But they aren't going anywhere. I see some of you guys at the rec center, and uh, we have hamster wheels in our rec center. Did you know that? We, these things that you can get on, and you can run for as long as you want. But when you get off, you're still in the same exact spot you started. You know what I'm talking about? Except for you're a little more tired. Uh, how many of you guys have felt like, ever in your life, that your life just felt like a hamster wheel? Like you're just running, you're grinding your gears, you clean the house, Three times, moms, you've cleaned the house for the third time, and then you look up, and your kids have destroyed it one more time. You're like, somebody get me off this hamster wheel, right? Maybe you're like, hey, I got this great business deal, but then the deal ran out, and I had to go get another one. And then I had to go sell another house, or I had to go find another client, or I had to go do another. And it's just like never ends. No wonder we dream for retirement. It's like the day in my 60s where I can get off and then die two years later. That sounds harsh, but that's reality, right? Like, it's like, come on, guys. We're, always, we, we're all just exhausted and stressed out and tired. And here's the thing. The reason is inside of you, there's this inner longing that we have, and I would call it an Edenic longing. That's what your Bible teaches. So Christians, you're with me. If you're not a Christian and this is weird to you, it's supposed to be weird to you. Okay, and so listen, there's this inner longing in us to be at a state of rest, like true rest. When God created the heavens and the earth and created the first human beings, they were supposed to be eternal creatures. And they weren't supposed to be tired. They were supposed to work, but they were going to continue to live and be in a relationship with God. But then that got broken because of sin. And now our culture is exploiting it constantly. Constantly. Uh, From trying to, and the way they explore it is trying to sell us things. Hey, you have this house, but by the way, there's this bigger one. 
hey, you had this car, but hey, by the way, there's this faster one. Hey, you had this girlfriend, but hey, here's this better one. Hey, you had, you know, this church you were going to, but hey, here's a better preaching one. Here's, you know, and it's just constantly chasing. And in the church, we had the same thing. Well, if I could just get another Bible study, if I could just have another group, if I could just have another pastor, if I could just have another church, if I could just have another thing. And it's just like going and going and going and going. And how many of you guys, have you been in the church and you've chased all these things over and over, and you're like, you know what, I'm done with this whole church thing. It's just exhausting. Anybody? Let's be honest for a minute. Like, I'm not going to be offended. I feel that way. Y'all exhaust me. <laughs> You're laughing. I don't laugh. I cry at home going like, I can't do this. These guys drive me freaking crazy. All right? You guys feel the same thing. My whole generation, the millennials, the largest to leave the church because they're going, I'm exhausted by this. I'm just totally tired of it. Part of it is they watch their parents and go, listen, I don't want what you have. You, you, you do your Bible studies. I don't see you follow your Bible. And then also it's going like, man, it's just another thing and grinding my gears. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'm not good enough unless I do this, unless I do that. Anybody ever feel that? Okay, good. Well, listen, it's because you've been believing something that's not actually in the Bible. You've you got a messed up view of what God wants for you. And you've bitten down on this lie that our culture, the world, the flesh, and the devil are selling to us, which is that you're going to find what you're looking for in the next thing. And every time you put your foot down, that hamster wheel just keeps spinning, keeps spinning, keeps spinning, and we're exhausted. So what, what's the point today? What's the point of the passage? Let me give you a thesis statement. Here's what I believe that we're going to talk about today. It's this. Jesus and Jesus' teaching is the pathway to inner rest for those who humbly depend on him. Let me just read it again. Jesus himself and Jesus' teaching is the pathway to inner rest for those who humbly depend on him. Here's the problem. That is so simple that it's going to be hard for you to not just dismiss it and ignore it and walk right past it. This is the most important thing you could ever know and understand in the church that Jesus is the pathway to inner rest for those who humbly depend on him. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And listen, if you have ears to ear and eyes to see, this could be the day that your life is transformed forever. And if not, hey, listen, we've all been there. We're going to break it down three ways. Number one, we're going to look at wisdom goes to the weak. Jesus is the fountainhead, and Jesus is inviting everyone. So let's look at wisdom goes to the weak. What does that mean? Wisdom goes to the weak. Let me reread this to you because I know you've already forgotten, and so have I. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So the first thing we got to ask in this is, what are these things? He's saying he's, that the Father has hidden some things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. What are these things that he's hidden? What are they? Anybody want to know? The things that he has hidden are the message and the activities of the kingdom of God. It's that simple. The message and the activities of the kingdom of God, of the king, have been hidden from the wise and understanding and little children are getting it. Okay, so here's what you got to understand. All of chapter 11 is Jesus teaching this message, and it's 
And what it's doing is chapter 11, Matthew is trying to expose to you all the different responses to Jesus' activities and his message. Uh, uh, Addison kicked this off at the beginning of chapter 11 when he talked about John the Baptist sending a message to his cousin Jesus, asking him, hey, are you really the one or should we be looking for another? Jesus' cousin, who is the forerunner of the Messiah, is going, hey, are you really it? Or are we looking for something else? Because I'm still in prison and you're not meeting my expectations and my plans. So one of the responses is simply this. You're not what I thought you would be. You're not doing what I thought you would do. And so that's one response. And Jesus answers him with a great answer. But then the next is, so the first is the forerunner. The next is the generation. And he says, this generation that's all around Jesus. Listen, imagine like Jesus walking around right now. Like just like stop reading the Bible like, a, Bible like a fairy tale. Read it like a history book. Place yourself in the context. This generation around Jesus, he says, he goes, listen guys, it's like I'm playing you a country song and you think I'm playing you Drake. You just don't even understand the music. Like I say this thing and you take it to be that thing. Can you not hear? It's very simple. It's very clear. And he's saying, this generation, man, they're dancing to the wrong song. And then the next thing he says, he talks about the cities. And he talks about these cities that he's doing these crazy miracles. Guys, I'm not talking like they cooked, he cooked up an amazing souffle or he did a double backflip on a dirt bike. Okay? He healed the blind. He raised people from the dead. Right? He healed lepers like if I'm there for that I'm going man this is like beyond Las Vegas stuff like this is crazy this is insane am I right anybody it's pretty crazy right and they walk away as if it's like man that was cool all right well I gotta get to work and so he's saying these are the responses to Jesus's life and ministry And so why is this relevant? He's saying the things of the kingdom of God, these things, the message and the activities of the king, God has hidden these things from the wise and understanding. What does it mean that God has hidden them from the wise and understanding? And why is Jesus thankful that God did that? Well, there's a few things that uh, explain this. First, you got to look at how Jesus addresses God. Okay, he addresses God uh, as his father, And he also calls him the Lord of heaven and earth. So here's the first thing you need to know about Jesus. Jesus doesn't care what you think about him. Jesus is not seeking consensus. He's not looking to take a vote. He doesn't care what your opinion is. He's not waiting for his cousin to finally get it, get a clue. He's saying, I submit to God and God's authority. I'm going to do the message and I'm going to do the activities of the kingdom, whether you get it or not. I submit to God's authority, and that's what I'm going to do. You tracking with me, guys? He said, this is what I'm about. And he's saying, but being about God's way, you're not going to get it if you think you already know the way it should be. So first he addresses him as the Lord. So first thing you got to see, and this is a great example to Christians, Jesus doesn't seek consensus, and neither should you. He seeks the will of the Father. He says, whatever you want, that's what I'm going to do. You hearing that? Some of you should take some notes on that. That would be great. But also, he calls the Lord his father, right? And this is so significant in this passage. Listen, if you're a Jew and you hear Jesus start calling him his father, you would freak out. Now, for you guys, 
uh, and rightly so. That doesn't freak us out. We know there's been a lot that's been said about God being our Father. We sang about it, right? We call him Abba. Like, you've been taught this. It's good to know that. But as a Jew, that would be radical. And I think once we really get it, it's pretty radical as a Christian too. But he's calling him his father, and it's extremely important for what we're going to learn next when he talks about little children. But it's important you guys see that. Jesus is calling God his father, and he's inviting us to do the same. In Matthew chapter 6, who does he say that we address our prayer to, guys? Church, who does he say? In Matthew 6, he says, pray then like this, our, what? Come on, bring it. What? Our all right, cool. You listen, you're louder at a Cody Bronx game, and it's high school football. No one cares. You're in church. This is the kingdom of God. Let's go. Like, be in it with me. All right? I'm not going to rip my shirt off or anything, but we're going like, to do this. He says, our Father, listen, Lord of heaven and earth, when you leave this building, go look at the mountains and just think. Those are tiny in comparison to the entire earth. Tonight, if the sky's clear, look at the stars go. Those are the heavens. He's the Lord of the heavens and the earth. And he's inviting you to call him Father. Like, I don't think a preacher on earth can, like, really explain how amazing and crazy that is. And Jesus invites us to do that. Now, so the first thing is that Jesus addresses God uh, as the Lord of heaven and earth. He says God is the authority. That's really important. Second is this. Jesus isn't necessarily thankful that his generation, this people, are blind to the message and activities of the kingdom. He's thankful that even though the wise and understanding don't get it, that the little children do. Listen, God's not going, oh, there's a wise and understanding person. I'm going to blind him from this. I'm going to hide it so he can't see it. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying is this. I'm thankful that even though you who think you're wise and understanding and you think you understand all things, and in fact, it's just proving your blindness, I'm so thankful that even the wise and understanding, even though they don't get it, the little children are. I love this. You don't have to have some high IQ to understand the goodness of God. You don't have to have an elite level education to know that Jesus is Lord. Amen? We got eight-year-olds downstairs who know more about the gospel than 50-year-olds in this room. Thank God that an eight-year-old can know the magnitude of the glory of God, can know the gospel, be transformed. That's amazing. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says little children? What is he trying to say? Well, it doesn't mean that it's the little kids are getting it and all the, all the wise, smart adults are just blind. It's not that. It's not an age thing. Jesus is trying to make a point here. Friends, this is the most important point of your life. He's trying to say this. What Jesus is saying is that those who consider themselves wise in their own minds are missing the obvious message and activity of the king. But those who come to God like little kids come to their father are discovering the hidden wisdom of Jesus' message and activity. Like, how, how many of you guys? How many of you guys have kids? Anybody in here have kids? Okay, I got some kids, and they're 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 like, they're amazing. If you acted like my son Boone acts with me, if you acted like that with your father in heaven, I promise you, you would be further in your faith than you are right now. My son, and I'm not as good of a father as 
my heavenly father. I'm just going to be very clear about that. But my son trusts his daddy. He comes to me all the time and goes, Daddy, what is that? Daddy, how does that work? Daddy, I need your help. Daddy, what is this? My son, my daughter, she's like beyond that. She knows everything now. But my, my, daughter, my son, Boone, so I'm saying Boone, okay, let's be specific. Uh, and all the parents who have high school kids, you know, right? Like the closer they get to the senior year, they're like the smartest people in the whole world. They're a great example of what I'm about to say right now. That it's simply this. You know, okay, like parents, how many of you guys are like, your kid's telling you what is true, and you're like, you're just going, sweetheart, listen to me, come, come close. Daddy just wants to talk to you real quick. It's amazing what you don't actually know. Okay. Hey, listen, high school students, I love you to death. You have no idea. But my son, Boone, he'll come to me, and he's like, Daddy, how does this work? How does that work? And some of the questions that as an adult I go, that's an idiotic question. Like, that's a no-brainer. Why are you even asking that? But my son is four, and I go, buddy, I would love to tell you. I would love to tell you. This is what Jesus is saying to you guys. Stop acting like you know how this whole world works. You're like a senior in high school with God. You're less than a senior in high school with God. God could draw you in and go, hey, buddy, come here. I love you. Listen, I know, right? You're the president of your organization. You've done great things. And people, they invite you onto their podcast to talk about all you know about business and life. But come in and say, you don't know anything about anything. But I love you. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, those who are like little children with God, who they open their Bible every day and go, listen, I'm not going to sit here and be arrogant about like, oh, all the things I know about the Bible going, listen, God, I don't know anything, but I'm here. And I just, would you just teach me, Lord? What is this? What does that mean? But here's the thing, church. It's amazing how often I and I see it in you act so arrogantly as if we know everything about everything. It should be this way. God should do that thing. And this is what that scripture means. You should do this for me. And all, it's like, hey man, I'm pretty sure if we dressed ourselves in humility and acted like children, say, God, what do you want? What are you saying, Lord? What does this word actually mean? If you ask those questions, God is saying right here, Jesus is saying that God will reveal to you a deeper hidden wisdom that those who think they got it all together will never understand. They'll never get it. So what he's honoring is us acting like little children. And so here's, I don't know if, I, I don't know if this got thrown on the screen, but I, I just have basically a little math problem, and it's this. Humility plus Jesus equals wisdom. Humility plus Jesus equals wisdom. But pride plus you equals foolishness. And Jesus is inviting us into humility and inviting us to come to him. All right? So those who have already decided that they think what God should do, or some of you are going, well, if I was God, this is what I would do, you're never going to see what God is actually doing. That's, what, that's, that's John the Baptist. This is not what I thought you were going to do. I thought you were going to break me out of prison. I thought you were going to set me free from my financial debt. I thought you were going to give me a, a wife or a husband by now. I thought you were going to do these things. And he's... And you go, so you must not be God. Because if I was God, I would already have the hottest, richest wife in the whole world. And I go, buddy, okay. Those who assume that Jesus is just a good guy or a homeboy or just a great teacher aren't hearing the music. 
you're not hearing what Jesus is saying. You're assuming he's giving you a rap when really he's playing some country. He's probably not playing country because, listen, Jesus is not behind country music. (laughs) I know. I'm just making it light for a minute. And those who mistake the miracles of God for accidents or happenstance, they too are missing the king. Just like the cities. We're saying that the outcomes are just, they're just results of the good things we're doing, the bad things we're doing. You know, the cities, they witnessed the miracles of Jesus. They were blind to the significance of the miraculous. It's amazing how often something absolutely miraculous happens. People go, well, it was just an accident. And I go, there's no accidents in the kingdom of God. Just not. Christians, you know that, right? And so here's a great verse for you guys. This is the first point that we're teaching. It's 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. It says, clothe yourselves, church, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under, under the mighty hand of God. And at the proper time, he will exalt you. But I've said this before, I'll say it again. If you seek to do God's job, he'll do your job. He who has ears, let him hear. Wisdom goes to the weak. Okay, so what's the application for this first point? Here's a question I want you to ask yourself. Do you spend more time making statements versus asking questions? Do you spend more time telling God what he should do rather than asking God what he wants you to do? Don't assume that knowledge equals wisdom. It doesn't. Knowledge does not equal wisdom. As Timothy Keller says, you can have knowledge without wisdom, but you cannot have wisdom without knowledge. It's a tough tension. There's a lot of us in this room who know a whole lot about the Bible, but we're not wise. We're not wise. You see this a lot in young disciples and young guys. It's amazing what they'll tell me they know, but at the end of the day, they don't walk according to what they know. I go, you know a lot, but you're not wise. That's why we don't always rush to put young men into leadership, right? Because they need some time to find out what the knowledge looks like in real life. But here's the thing. Knowledge or wisdom does not know age. Wisdom does not know age. My earthly father is not a wise man. Just because he's older than me and has some gray hair, I don't respect the wisdom of his life. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4.13, better was a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who's forgotten how to take advice. Hey, some of you old kings in the room, listen to me. If you stopped asking questions and seeking your father because you're a grandfather, you're a fool. And you will die in foolishness. How many men in the Bible don't end well because they began to be arrogant in themselves? The wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, he's one of them. Man died in his foolishness because he forgot to ask the Lord. So I listen, I'm not trying to bash you old guys. And I'm trying to bash you young guys. I'm trying to bash everybody in the room <laughs> who's not willing to say, I need God's help. Lord, teach me. I want to know. Hey, church, come into my life and speak into me. I, I want you to correct me when I'm wrong. I want you to speak into my life. Because I want to be like a child seeking the Father. So that's it. The application point is this. Act like a child with God. Hey, guys, I want you to next time imagine being a four-year-old with your father. That's what I want you to do. Lord, what do you want? Let's go to the next. All right? Uh, the next thing is this. The next point. So the first point was this. The wisdom goes to the weak. The second is this, that Jesus is the fountainhead. Let me reread this. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone, uh, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This, biblically, uh, 
is a really, really significant verse in our Bible. There's something we call Christology, and it's just basically just the, the theology around who Jesus really is. And this is one of the big ones right here. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you three things, three significant eye-openers to who Jesus is that are in verse 27. These may be new to you, but I want you to act like a child who's just wowed every time he still sees the same thing again. So this is the first thing is this, that Jesus, if you don't get, listen, I also want to tell you this. If you don't get this, you don't know anything about Jesus. But if you get this, like, your whole life will be different. Your whole life will be transformed. First is this, Jesus is the only plenipotentiary. You're like, what? What's a plenipotentiary? Potentiary, potent, uh, it talks about power. We know that God is what? Omnipotent, he's omni, he's all-powerful. A plenipotentiary is basically this. It's a person similar to a diplomat invested with the full power of independent action on behalf of their government, typically in a foreign country. Jesus has all the power of God, because all things have been trusted to him, and he comes as a representation, representative to earth, a foreign country out of heaven, to us, and he's got all the power of God. You need to know that Jesus didn't come as a man working his way to becoming God. He came as God. He has all power. How crazy is that? I mean, walking up to a man and going, like, listen, I am God. Like, I mean, you would be like, crazy, but this is who Jesus was. And he says, all things have been handed to me over, handed over to me by my Father. The second thing is this. First, he is the diplomat. The second is this. Jesus and the Father are one. Guys, don't act like you know that. Think about it, church. Jesus and the Father are one. He says, Jesus knows the Father in the same way that the Father knows him. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11, Paul says this about knowing people. He says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Like, you may think that you know me, but you don't know everything that I'm thinking. How many times have you guys gotten in trouble because you thought somebody was thinking something and they really weren't thinking it and you assumed something and then you blew them up? Yeah, that was me yesterday apologizing for doing that. We do that all the time. It's saying that Jesus knows the Father. The Greek word for know. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you these because they're so good. The Greek word for know is, oh my gosh, I just reminded this, hard to say, epigenoskai. Try that, epigenoskai. Get comfortable, guys. You guys are acting like a bunch of Baptists in chairs. Like, jump in, epigenoskai. Give it a shot, man. Be a little kid going, who's like, your dad just handed you a slingshot. You just want to try it out, you know? Epigenoskai, which is, it's derived from the root word gnosko. Gnosko means to, to know something, but if you put the prefix E-P-I in front of it, epi, it intensifies the meaning. Let me read this to you. In essence, epigenoska implies a comprehensive and profound knowledge, a recognition or understanding of something. It goes beyond superficial awareness and suggests a thorough acquaintance or realization of something. This term is often used in philosophical and theological contexts to describe a profound, insightful, or intimate knowledge of a subject. Listen, that word intimate is key because in the Hebrew, the word to know is yada. That's a lot easier. Try that one. 
Yada is also the word that they use to talk about sex in the Old Testament. All right, getting spicy here. He says, when it says that Abraham knew Sarah, it says he yadad Sarah. All right? And so when you say yada, 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 just be careful. All right? <laughs> but what he's saying basically is this. He's saying it's to know. But think about how significant. When you put those together, it's this deep, intimate knowledge of something. That's why it says to know. Like there's this vulnerability about it. It's an exposing of all of who you are. Jesus and the Father know each other wholly and perfectly, deeply and intimately. That's in, it's not insane to you because you know Jesus to be God right now. But when you're reading this as a Jew, that's insane. And it's a picture of oneness. It's a picture of oneness. Now why does that, ma- that really matter? Well, number three. So first, Jesus is the all-powerful diplomat of heaven. Number two, he and the Father are one, full knowledge of each other. But then he says that the only people who get to know the Father are those that Jesus chooses to reveal the Father to. That freak anybody out? So what does that mean? It means Jesus is the indispensable intermediary. You cannot know the Father unless Jesus chooses to reveal the Father to you. What does that even mean? It, it basically, okay. Let's just, I was gonna, I'm going to skip something. I'm going to go straight to this. What does it mean? Who does Jesus choose to reveal the Father to? Anybody want to know? Who gets, who gets to see the Father? Go to verse 28. Look at verse 28 with me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is Jesus' answer. You want to know who gets to see the Father? Every single person who will come to Jesus. You want to know God? Come to Jesus. He's not going to deny you. He said, you come to me, I will reveal the Father to you. Guys, let's look at this. This is one of the most significant verses right now in our culture because it's so funny we're the most exhausted culture if you're living on a hamster wheel this this these verses sound so good don't they come to me labor heavy laden you're like that's me sign me up and he's saying i will give you rest so what is the invitation the invitation is come to me i will give you rest that's the invitation if you want rest go to jesus he will give it to you so what church listen to me here's a test What is Jesus offering to you? Say it louder. No, that's not what he's offering. What is Jesus offering you? It's not rest. So let me tell you, you're already wrong on that one, so try a new one. What is Jesus offering to you? Yeah, okay, those are all great. What is Jesus, listen, who did he say to come to? Did he say, come to rest and then I will give you rest? What does he say? Come to me. Church, this is why your life as a Christian still stinks. Because you keep coming for the thing and you're missing that Jesus says, come to me. I'm begging you. I'm begging you to listen. Jesus is saying, I am offering you me. That's Christianity. Your life stinks because you keep coming to Jesus thinking like a hamster wheel. I'm going to go to Jesus because I want that rest. 
I want to go to Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to Jesus because I want him to fix my marriage. You know how many times I've tried to counsel people going, listen, you got it all messed up. Stop coming to Jesus to fix your marriage. Come to Jesus because you need Jesus. And watch as he will give you rest and work on your marriage and keep you from hell. He'll do all those things. But if you make it about those things, you're like a woman who's more infatuated with the engagement ring than with the husband. You know what we call that lady? I'm not going to say it. (laughs) Friends, breathe. Listen to me. Jesus is offering himself to you. That's what he's doing. Think about it. Just think about it. You feel uncomfortable right now? Listen, breathe for a second. Just, Just be for a second. He's offering you himself. Forget the rest. Forget the heaven. Forget all the treasures and the crowns and your marriage. Forget every circumstance in your life. Just hear this. Jesus is offering himself to you. Man, I tell you what, it's taken me 18 years of following Jesus to finally realize, oh, that's why these things haven't made sense to me yet. I'm telling you, as a guy who's got, I got two degrees in this, I got a lot of knowledge, finally starting to click on this wisdom. That's what it means. That's what Jesus has been saying. I was so focused on the rest that I forgot about Jesus. Anybody? I was so focused on feeling good because I attended church. I totally forgot the fact that, like, this is about Jesus. And I tell you what, man, I'm walking a little lighter this week because of this passage. That's what he is saying to you. He's offering you rest, but he's saying he's offering you himself. Oh, now who is Jesus offering it to, church? Who did he say he's offering it to? Everybody. Everybody's going to come to him. Everybody like a child who says, listen, I can't carry this anymore. I can't be righteous enough. I can't do it all. I can't, I can't save everybody. I can't, I can't be the best business partner. I can't be the best husband. I can't do this anymore. I need help. He's saying, he's offering it to you. If that's you, you're in the best place you could ever be in your life because you are just ripe, ready to finally see who Jesus really is. You think you got it all together, guess what? Jesus is never going to be, never going to be something you want to be invested in. And, and that's why we praise God for the brokenness and the things that happen in our lives. Right, church? Like, that's why we, like, I thank God that I broke my leg, I was suicidal, I got kicked out of military school, I was porn addicted and drug addicted. I was, like, in this utter, like, state of chaos. At the time, I absolutely hated it. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I wanted to kill myself. But I thank God now because I look back because he just put me in this place where I finally was like, I need some help. And by God's loving grace, Christians drove into my cul-de-sac and invited me to some silly Baptist youth thing that I said, no, I don't want to go. I've got a full-length leg cast. Why would I want to do that with you? That's weird. And they're like, well, we already bought you a ticket. And I said, that was dumb. I literally said to them, that's dumb. You didn't even ask me. Next day, I'm in a van, I'm driving up, and I meet Jesus. And now I'm where I'm at. And I just go, I'm so thankful he wrecked my life. What a gift. What a gift. He made me realize how heavy laden I really was. What a blessing. So 
Who is Jesus offering us to? He's offering it to everybody who's exhausted and heavy laden. In the broad sense, that means the pressures of life. But what Jesus is being specific about right here, he's saying any of you guys who feel like you just can't do all the rules of the Bible, that's what he's saying. If you feel like the law, you know, and obeying the law of, of the Lord is just too much and you can't do it and I'm trying as hard as I can, I'm trying to be good enough, if that's you, that's who he's specifically talking to. He's not saying because you had a flat tire and your hot water heat out, hot water went out and your, your business partner turned their back on you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about those of you in this room who've been trying to be good, trying to get it done, trying to be good in the eyes of the Lord, and you just can't seem to do it. It's you he's specifically talking to. And he's saying you, he wants to set free. Look what he says. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart. That yoke, a lot of teachers falsely say that it's like, it's an oxen yoke, which is two-headed yoke. You know what I'm talking about? A yoke is what you put like a cow or oxen in and they pull, if you have no context. It's not a two-headed oxen yoke, okay? I understand, and there's a lot of really fun things to learn about, like, well, it's Jesus and you, and you're running together. It's not what it is. What he's talking about is a slavery yoke, which is an individual. It's a human one. So you need to know, in his day, human yokes existed. So it's an individual yoke. And he's saying, take my yoke on you. And you're going to find what? Rest for your souls. Take the burden of the law off. Take my gospel and righteousness on you. And you're going to find that I'm not the slave driver that you used to have, like the law who was whipping you. You're not good enough. You did it again. Who do you think you are? If everybody knew who you were, they wouldn't love you. He says, I'm gentle and lowly heart. I don't carry a whip. The scripture says, a bruised reed he won't even break. He's saying a grass blade that's slightly leaning, he's not going to snap it. He's going to leave it. He's gentle. He's not like your boss or not like you if you are a boss. He's saying, I am gentle and lowly. Come on, put this on you. And look what he says. I'm going to give you rest for your souls. And what he is saying, that rest for your soul, that word soul is psyche. In the Greek, that's psyche. And what he's saying is, I'm going to give you rest that's a deep inner rest. And this is a good message to everybody in the room. If you came to Christianity thinking that you were no longer going to have flat tires, that the church was all going to be nice to you, right? They were never going to lie and gossip and split and gossip about you, right? And not show up for the event that you, like, planned for or, or come to volunteer for your ministry. Like, if you thought that was all going to happen, like, you've been dancing to the wrong song. That's not what the Bible says. It actually says, what does it say? What does the Bible tell you if you want to follow Jesus? Anybody? What does Jesus say? Come with me, you're going to what? It's going to be hard. Jesus literally says, anyone who wants to come after me, guess what? Here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to pick up a cross, and I'm going to ask you to come with me, and we're going to go die together. I think if I, I should say that more often. Maybe we'd have less converts. It would be great. Here's the thing. I would take less converts, but more of them who finally realize that yes, the church is going to hurt your feelings. But you're not a victim because you're the church. What he's saying, guys, is the inner rest he wants to give you is, has nothing to do with the circumstances around you. This inner rest is, I got a flat tire, I'm all right. Man, my community, they're never responding to my text when I'm talking about what's going on in my life. But I'm all right. My Lord loves me. Anybody, is that hit with Anybody? You know, you're like, man, I confess my sins, but nobody confesses theirs. I reach out to them, never reach out to me. 
It's like I hear you guys talking, right? Like, it's like I know what you're going through. It's like, welcome. But Jesus wants to give you something that's so much deeper. It's saying, listen, I've got to rest that even if you never respond to me, I'm okay. Even if my wife never chooses to follow Jesus, I'm okay. Like, I'm going to be all right. Even if they come to take my life and burn me at the stake, on the stake, I will sing the praises of God. Go read church history. It's full of them. Full of them. Matt, who is that guy that, you know, Todd was talking about there? Was it, it, was, it wasn't Thomas Aquinas. Who was it? The, the martyr who died on, at the stake? Okay, so this dude, one of the first, he, he was, yeah, it stuck, it stuck with me. The story, story was really cool. There's this guy who, he was, one, he was uh, so John, who wrote the Gospel of John, one of Jesus' disciples, discipled a guy who discipled this guy. And in his 80s, the uh, Romans were coming to him and saying, hey, you need to turn from your faith. And uh, he's like, I've been, I'm like, he's 80 years old, and he goes like, ain't happening, right? And so they beat him almost to death, and he just keeps singing the praises of God. They put him to burn him on a stake, but when they were going to burn him on a stake, they, he, the blood that was coming out of him put out the fire. And so they had to take him and just go, like, what did they end up doing to him? Didn't they, like, feed him to, like, lions or something like that? But he just, was, he just kept going on. He just kept saying, I will never renounce Jesus because what you believe is a lie, and I will die for the truth. Listen, friends, that is the inner rest that God wants to give you, that though you might be ripped apart, inside you go, I'm all right. I'm absolutely fine. And the reason me and my friends don't want to, we're all leaving the church is because we're looking at you guys, and uh, I posted a meme about this recently. Like, you're like, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me, and if it rains, you don't come to church. Like, that's, like, the persecution for you is just like, it's at, like, rain. Oh, it's just God doesn't love me. Jesus is saying, hey, I want to give you so much, like, more. I'm like, I'm ranting right now, but I just, I'm hoping you guys are hearing. Like, I need this. I need people to come into my life and go, hey, buddy, it's time to buck up. Remember what Jesus invited us into. He loves us. It's going to be okay. When we die, we're going to heaven. It's going to be all right to live as Christ, to die as gain. Let's do this. Stop complaining about your community. They're Christians. That's what they're going to do. They're going to turn on you. And you just go, hey, Jesus told me this was coming. But I got rest. I got deep inner rest. All right, am I ranting too much? Somebody give me some feedback right now. Like, this, is great. this is gonna be like posted online forever. It's so good. Here's the main point. Jesus and Jesus' teaching is the pathway to inner rest for those who humbly depend on him. If you wanna know why your faith has just always never seemed to like really click and get into gear, it's probably because you've been always walking with assumptions and expectations that are not what God's calling you to. And what he's been inviting you into is a relationship with him. You keep going to your Bible to learn some things, and friends, I get it, but you've not gone to go and have a relationship with Jesus. You've been going to community hoping it's going to give you something rather than going saying, I'm following my Lord and Savior Jesus into community to practice what he taught me to practice with those so that I'd be, we would be a community known for our love for one another. What is holding us back is what Jesus is trying to tell us. We're not acting like little four-year-old children with their father. We're acting like arrogant old fools who've forgotten how to take advice. So church, you want rest? You want d- deep inner peace? It comes through dependence on Jesus. Deep dependence on Jesus. That is what Jesus is offering us, a relationship. Amen? Take a moment. I'm going I'm to pray. When this song goes, we're going to sing this song. I just want you guys to really, like, think. 
what have I been doing in thinking it was for Jesus, but I've been doing it without Jesus? Just pray about that. Confess it. Confess it. And repent and turn around and say, let's get back to going, being about Jesus, Jesus himself. Amen.